it's such a teacher thing. I'm curious, um, how many of you do, any of you do a word for the year? Any of you do that? Where the, raise your hand if you do a word for the year. That's like, you look at 2020 and you say, this is going to be the, either the word that God has put on my heart or the word, raise your hand if you do that. Do that? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Would any of you, now that you've put yourselves out there by raising your hand, <laughs> any of you who do do that, would, you, would any of you be willing to share what your word for the year is for 2020? Yeah. Activation. Activation. Wow, that's... Wow, okay. You're going to make anybody else who wants to share, you're going to be shy now after that one. So, anybody else want to share a word that they have for 2020? <laughs> yeah, one of these years I want to pick fun, right? So, entertained, that's the word, yeah. Anybody else have a word that they, for 2020 they want to share? So shy. Wisdom. Hmm. Good. Mine was present or is present. And um, I just want to be, I feel like God is giving me or encouraging me this year to be fully present with the people he puts around me. So that is my word. Um, thank you for allowing, there you are. Thank you for allowing me to be able to share this morning. And we're going to be looking at... Um, the passage is Jeremiah 40, and before we do, let's go ahead and take a minute to pray, and then uh, we'll get started. God, we trust you. We trust your word. Um, we trust your Holy Spirit, who is the one who illuminates scripture. We submit to your Holy Spirit. Um, God, we ask that whatever you want to do in us, however you want to shape us, whatever you want to speak to us, that you'd help us to be available to that. Um, I submit to you what I've planned and ask that you would lead through that. And um, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 40. We're going to be going through the uh, four chapters of it. Actually, is it 5, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44? That's five chapters, if you can count. Um, so Jeremiah 40 through 44, and we're not going to read all the way through it because that would take forever. And, but, um, so I'm going to summarize the passage, and I'm going to pull out key verses from that passage as we read through it. But if you want to join, if, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Jeremiah chapter 40. Uh, so you'd be welcome to turn there. And let me give you just a little bit of background before we get into the, the chapter itself or into those chapters to, to give a little bit of a... Um, um, to help understand what's happening and what's going on prior to this that sets this up. It was uh, the darkest moment in Israel's history. Um, Israel had been defeated by Babylon, and Jerusalem had officially fallen. There had been a siege for a couple years, and finally Israel had fallen. The temple and the city were plundered and burned. I mean, the people watched the Babylonians come in and it just pulled bronze and stuff out of the temple and desecrate the temple. And it was just a, it was, I can't imagine what it was like to be in that situation at that time. There are groups of people who were taken captive. Um, many who were left had nothing, absolutely nothing. 
families were separated. Um, those who were left in the land were desperate and bitter. Um, Judah was in havoc and shambles. It almost probably looked apocalyptic to them. And in the midst of all of that, so Judah is in disarray, and it is wiped clean. Uh, Babylon appoints this officer, a very reputable officer named Gedaliah, to become governor, to go in and become governor of the land of Judah and try to help and bring some order and administrate this, this new thing to kind of bring it all back together because it was chaos. And they picked the guy who was the right man for the job. He was experienced. Um, he, had, he had a lineage. His line, his family were all these really reputable officers in the Babylonian system. So they, this is the guy who's going to be able to come into this place in this time and be able to bring order to it and, and reestablish. And so he was very successful, actually. Scholars say that his first few years, and, and the Bible insinuates it too, that his first few years, he was pretty successful at this, but things started to turn. And that's where we're going to pick up in Jeremiah 40. In Jeremiah 40, there's a Babylonian captain by the name of Nebuzaradan who confronted Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is one of the prophets in this time. And so he comes to Jeremiah and he confronts him. And he says basically this. He says, listen, all of this that's happened, everything that you see, all this stuff that's happened is because your people have been disobedient to the Lord. Pretty gutsy. So in other words, he said, all this big mess, this is Israel's fault. This is Israel's fault. So then he uh, instructed Jeremiah to go and live with Gedaliah, this new governor. So it seems like what he's saying is, Jeremiah, why don't you go and help? Maybe you can help Gedaliah be able to make, to, to bring this back into order again. But go and live with Gedaliah during this time. So then in chapter 40, verse 7, the captains of the leftover armies in Judah, they heard that, this guy Gedaliah is coming in from Babylon to govern Judah. So they set up to have a face-to-face -face meeting with him. They want to meet this new governor who's going to be the governor of Judah. And in that meeting, as Gedaliah meets with these leaders of the armies, in verse 9, if you look with me, he gives them a promise. He says, do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the, serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Gather wine and summer fruits and oil and store them in your vessels and dwell in your cities. So in other words, try to retain or try to, to retain some kind of normal life. It's very striking. It, it probably reminds you a lot of that Jeremiah 29 passage, right? Where God is telling them to dwell in the land and be fruitful and multiply. So most of the Judeans in that were agreeable to this, but what we see in chapter 41 is that there's a man named Ishmael who decides to take matters into his own hands. 
Exactly. Is that chapter 41? <laughs> so Ishmael decided to take matters in his own hands. He gathered, some of, he gathered a group of these men, like 10 or so men together, and they had this scheme. And, um, and he gathered these men together, and they went, and they went after Gedaliah, and they assassinated Gedaliah, this new governor, appointed by Babylon to Judah. They go and they assassinate um, the governor of Gedaliah, and they also do some other really awful things in the process. So this man, Ishmael, completely compromised Judah before Babylon, and he made them extremely vulnerable in this process. So in chapter 42, the captains of the armies of Judah, I imagine out of a lot of fear and angst, they met with Jeremiah for help. And in verse 3 of chapter 42, they asked Jeremiah to pray for them these words, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we should do. Which is a good prayer, right? So in verse 4, Jeremiah agreed to take that matter before the Lord. And their response in verse 6 was this. Listen to this response. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing. Another translation says, whether we like it or not. Which I like that. We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. My dad, um, who just recently passed away, um, he, he liked to bring up stories from my childhood, and they're usually the ones that um, were not always enjoyable for me to listen to around friends and loved ones, but my dad reminded me recently of a time in high school when I had asked him, I had a friend of mine who needed to go, we were living in Tucson, and my friend needed to drive up to Phoenix, up to Sky Harbor Airport, to fly out somewhere, and so uh, I thought it'd be really fun if I could drive him up to Phoenix and seem harmless enough, but my dad said in no uncertain terms he said, no, you cannot do that. I do not give you permission to do that. And this thing that my dad said displeased me. <laughs> so, um, so what did I do? Um, I obeyed my dad, right? So, no, so, so I decided that, well, I mean, what is he going to really know if I do it anyway? I would just drive up there, drive back, it'll be fine. So I decide that I'm not going to listen to my dad's voice, and I decided I was going to take my friend up to Phoenix. We drive up there. It's going great. It's wonderful. It was, this trip is just doing, it's, everything is going according to script. Drop him off at the airport, driving back. Nobody's going to know, right? Literally like 10 miles or less before we get to my house, before I get back to my house, my car breaks down. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no, great. So then I'm trying to think of who I can call, you know. So, like, who's going to help bail me out of this? And, um, and uh, am I, should I call the, the tow truck or whatever? So eventually, after I've run out of options, they decide to call my dad. My dad comes, and he drives over. He bails me out. We wait for a tow truck. We wait there. 
we get in the car and we drive back home. And I don't remember what was talked about on the way back home. I don't remember our conversation or anything like that. I may have blocked it out because it was so, I don't know. But, uh, but it was a very awkward, quiet drive home. But um, my dad said no, and I said, this displeases me. I don't like it, so I'm going to do it my way. And I decided to do it my way, and I got, um, I got caught, and I didn't like that. In my relationship with God... Am I willing to say whatever is pleasing, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, I will obey your voice. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to obey your voice. I will obey your voice. Um, Even Jesus had moments where obedience was tough. Right? The Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he said that um, if it's your will, would you take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours? Obedience is tough. Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord. Sometimes I wonder if I have the courage to say that and mean that. Um, and the older I get, I don't know, for those of you who experienced it or not, but it feels like the older I get, the harder it is for me to let go of those things, those comforts, you know, the, the things I cling to, it feels like it's this higher risk. When, when I was younger, it felt like you could be super risky, um, and, and follow God and listen and obey those things and give up some of those comforts and, and, and it just feels like the older I get, the harder it is for me to let go of those things. Almost like um, I become more and more entitled to them or I feel like they're more and more my right. I don't know, but it's hard. Um, am I willing to say, do I have the courage to say, God, whether it's, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, I will obey your voice, even if it goes against my comforts. So back to Jeremiah um, so the men of Judah had approached Jeremiah and they asked him to seek the Lord for them. Jeremiah says he will do that. He goes away to seek the Lord. And then after about 10 days, and they're probably very long days for the people of Judah, God responded to Judah through Jeremiah. And if you look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 42, this is God's response. He says, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But God knew that their hearts were divided. And that they wanted to run away. In fact, they wanted to run away to Egypt. So he continued in verse 15, saying that if you disobey my voice, if you choose not to follow my voice, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and to go there, to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in Egypt. 
And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. And then he spelled it out crystal clear in verse 19. He says, do not go to Egypt. If you haven't heard me up until this point, just listen to this. Do not go to Egypt. Do not go to Egypt. So while we're reading this, and while I was reading this in Jeremiah, there's hope, right? There's hope that, um, that Judah is going to do the right thing. That God has been very clear. They've come to him. They've presented themselves to say, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we're going to obey you. And God says this, and then he makes it very clear, and there's hope, right, that Judah is going to listen. But we have the benefit of hindsight. We see the whole story. And how did Judah respond? In chapter 43, it tells us that they let their fear cause them to be suspicious, and their pride caused them to be rigid, and their hunger for comfort caused them to be deaf. And they would not obey the voice of the Lord. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Um, we see it now, and we look back and we go, oh, if you'd only listened, you know, oh, if you'd only obeyed. Um, but we might have done the same thing, right? Look with me at their response in chapter 44, verses 16 through 18. That's chapter 44, verses 16 through 18. It says, they say to Jeremiah, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our families, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. This is what we've done. This is our culture. This is what we do. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off, and we saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. How often do I allow my decision-making to be influenced by whether I have plenty of food. I'm well off on whether I don't see any trouble. Um, how often do I evaluate my life based on those things? Where this person has plenty of food. This person's well off. And this person never seems to see any trouble. And so now I start to think that maybe there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with the Lord. Do I, do I expect those things in my life? Do I feel entitled to those things? How often do those things interfere with my obedience to God? Romans 8, 7 
Paul said, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. The people of Judah were so focused on the flesh that they became hostile toward God. And listen to what they completely missed. Listen to God's heart. This is Psalm 81, verses 13 through 16. And and the Old Testament is littered with all these kinds of words from the Lord. So I'm just pulling out a couple here, but listen to this. It says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from a rock. From the rock, I would satisfy you. Isaiah 46, verse 4. Um, I just read this this week. You know, in the, the very beginning of Isaiah 46, God is talking to the people of Israel, and he's talking to us as well. But he was talking about how they... Um, the, the idols that they've created in their lives, the ones that they hold on to, that they, they've become so heavy physically as well as the soul. they become so heavy that the carriages that they ride are weighed down and, and the oxen are weighed down from, the, from the, the weight of the idols that they carry. And there's insinuated the weight that, that lingers over our soul too from carrying that as well. And then he says in verse four, it's just such a sweet, promise such a sweet reminder in the midst of that he says this even to your old age i am he and to and to gray hairs i will carry you i have made you i will bear you i will carry you and i will save you um I remember recently receiving a nice size financial gift, and um, I had it long enough in my possession to grip it pretty tightly. Do you know what I mean by that? Where um, I, um, I started becoming very possessive of it. And there was this day when uh, God made it really clear to me, very clear, that he was asking me to let that go and to give it away. And um, I, I wrestled with that. It was so hard. I fought God all day with that. Um, God is gracious. I fought him all day. And finally, by the end of the day, I relented. And it was, <laughs> it felt like, like tearing it out. Ugh. And, um, and so I relented, and I, I decided to let go, and I decided to obey, and I gave it away. And I wish I could tell you that at the end of this, like the next day that I opened the door and there's this big pile of cash, it was like 10 times more than, than what was, you know, or that 
uh, a loved one who is suffering with sickness all of a sudden became healed or, you know, I wish that there was something at the end of that. It was like, oh, yeah, so that was like a, that was giving, tithing a gift or giving a gift to the Lord in, in expectation of him pouring back over. I wish that there was something I could say that came out of that, but all it was was obedience. There's not, there's no, like, pretty end to that story. It was like, I believe God called me to do it. I did it. And it's done. And I don't know. I haven't seen any physical benefits of that. Um, Maybe God will show in the future that there was. Maybe there isn't. But it's obedience. God said do it, so do it. Um, And there's a lot of peace. I don't miss it at all. You know what I mean? Um, It's not mine. It was never mine to begin with. Uh, Kate and I have been in ministry together since the start of our marriage, and we've seen a lot of lean years. And I know that there are people in here, many of you can relate to that for sure, especially those who are in ministry or leading ministries um, or just in general. But I've caught myself at times, this is horrible. (laughs) I've caught myself at times complaining to God because I feel like my faithfulness and my obedience and that I deserve a comfy lifestyle because of that. It's horrible to say out loud, but it's true. I've, I've battled that. Like, I shouldn't have to struggle because I've been good. I've been faithful. I'm doing what you're calling me to do. Um, it's clinging to comfort, isn't it? God has not promised us to be well off, to be, have plenty of food, to not see any trouble. He's never promised that to us. Maybe in the life to come, but not here. And if we're really in the conversation about what I deserve, that's a scary thing, isn't it? We're in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in such trouble if we start talking about what I deserve. I don't, how dare I even try to go down that road? That's a scary road. Um, Philippians chapter 3 this is not on the on the screen or on the slides but you know Paul he um, he had basically everything right he had risen the ranks of the godly elite Um, he had status he had education He had the top education. He had a high reputation. People knew him. They feared him. They respected him. Uh, He was financially well off. Um, He had all kinds of things that he had in his um, works had earned, right? And in Philippians 3.7, he says, whatever was to my profit, what? Do you remember this verse? I now consider what? A loss. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss because of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything, lost all things. And then he takes it a step further. He says he considers it rubbish, which is a really clean word for what he really meant in that passage. 
He considers it rubbish that he might gain Christ and be found in him, not clinging to a righteousness of his own that's by the law, but that which is in faith in Christ Jesus. So here's the reality. We won't always understand and we won't always agree with God. We won't. But God is in charge, right? He is our authority. There has to be an an authority. There has to be an authority. And so much confusion is in our world right now because we're not sure who the authority is. And then we start to think it's ourselves. And that's anarchy. God is in charge. True authority requires submission. And true submission only happens in the moments we disagree. Agreement is pure. Disagreement shows where authority lies. That's when you find out who's in charge. And when you can say, Lord, I don't agree, but I trust you and I will obey. Whether I like it or not, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, I will obey the voice of the Lord my God. Obedience means we will sometimes be told to do things that displease us. It just does. And our enlightened, knowledge-driven society often demands to understand or agree if we are going to obey. That's not submission. It's not. Saying, I will only agree or I will only obey if I agree or if I understand, it's rebellion. You've placed yourself in the seat of authority. So are we willing to say, um, I don't agree with you and I don't understand you, but I trust you? Are we willing to say, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God? Are we willing to lay down our comforts in order to obey God's voice? So here's the good news. Um, first is this, we can trust God. He's, what's that hymn? Um, um, now I lost it. It was, it was, yeah. Well, that one, but it was, um, Jesus, Jesus, how I've trusted, how I've proved him or and or, how I've proved him or and or. That's like, he's over and over, he's proven that he can be trusted. And if we can't, All of us can look to our own lives to see how God has been trustworthy. But if for some reason we can't, the psalmists show us that we can go back much further. That we can even look at God's trustworthiness way back to the days when he was showing himself faithful to other people at other times. Or if we can't see it in ourselves, we can look at how God has been trustworthy to other people around us. He has shown it over and over and over again. We can trust him. We can totally trust him. 1 Corinthians 1.9 this is the amplified version, says this, God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to his promise, and he can be depended on. By him you are called into companionship and partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Psalm 910 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Number two, uh, more good news. We can expect that God is going to be clear. He is clear, especially pertaining to matters of obedience. He's clear. He's made it clear. Uh, Psalm 119 tells us he's given us his word. He's clear in his word. Now, there's mystery in his word for sure, but in the areas he wants you to obey, where he wants us to obey, he's clear on those things. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, John 16, 13 tells us that he gives us his Holy Spirit indwelling in us to illuminate, to guide the way. It says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then James 1, 5 through 8, we know very well, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. That's important, right? Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So he's saying that he's, God is going to make it clear, but sometimes it's going to be unclear because we may have a divided heart. But God will make it clear. He's promised that he will give wisdom. He will make it clear to everyone who asks without finding fault. Uh, sometimes it may seem like God is not being clear. Um, that may be, maybe it's not an issue of obedience. That could be part of it. Maybe it's between two good things. Maybe it's, maybe you're just like, oh God, I want to obey. And he's like, great, go for it. You know, maybe it's, um, maybe God is inviting you to make your own decision on it. You know, where he's, sanctified you he's maturing you he's growing you and he's like you're becoming more and more like my son jesus and so why don't you try this one why don't you try making a decision and then i will correct you if you're on the wrong path you know um going from a formula to steak you know um perhaps it just means wait maybe he's just asking you to wait and just trust him in that way just wait Maybe um, you're like me, and you're caught thinking like 15 steps ahead rather than just the next one. Like, oh, I've got to know how it all plays out. If I'm going to, like, I want to follow you, I want to know, like, what is, like, what does this mean down the road, you know? What is this going to look like 15 steps from now? Just, just take the next step. What's the next step? Be obedient with one step at a time. Or perhaps you're holding on to something. And you're just holding on to it too tight. And it's, that's where it's becoming unclear. And, you know, often when, when I face that, um, none of us are perfect in that way, obviously. You know, but when, at the times when I've, when I've faced that, if I can just name it, that goes a long way. If I can just say, God, I don't know what to do with it, but I recognize this. A lot of times God takes over from there. And um, if we can just name it. And we can confess it. 
Number three, good news. God knows who we are and what we can handle. He totally understands. He made us, right? He knows our frame. He sees our weaknesses. And he's compassionate toward us. Psalm 103, verses 13 through 18 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So God knows who we are, what we can handle. And number four, the best news in all of this is that we are all in the same boat. Every single one of us here, we are all in the same boat. We have all turned away. Every single one of us have been disobedient. More than once. (laughs) And Jesus has taken the punishment of our disobedience upon himself. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, all of us, you and me, we're all there. And in Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we, who, all we like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Colossians 1.14 says that he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So because of Jesus, we can live lives that please God. Bobby, um, you guys can, where are you at? There you are. You guys can bring the band up. And that leads us to communion. Uh, Psalm 89, it's really amazing. Psalm 89 is written by Ethan, the Ezraite, not my son. (laughs) So that would be a very interesting psalm for sure. Um, So Psalm 89, it's fascinating. Scholars believe Psalm 89 was written right in that time period of Jeremiah 40 through 44. It was either written during that time period or it was modified in that time period. So Psalm 89 is very fascinating. But in Psalm 89 is this. This is so powerful. If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. And in Isaiah 50, verse 6, same time period, hundreds of years before Christ, God says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who would pluck out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Jesus absorbed the rod and he endured the stripes for us. He became our righteousness for us. 
And that, of course, is the very best news. And through communion, we remember that sacrifice with gratitude together as a community of redeemed people. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26 says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We invite everyone here who professes Christ um, as Lord and Savior to share with us in communion. We have three stations. We have the one up front, gluten-free in the middle, and then we have the station in the back. Um, We invite you to bring a friend up, loved one up. If you see somebody who um, you want to bring up to communion, I encourage us to do that together. And um, let me go ahead and pray, and we'll bless this time. Jesus, we certainly know that uh, in some level it was not pleasing to you to go to the cross, and yet your word says that it was the joy that was set before you that you endured it. And so thank you that we can sit here as objects of your joy, and thank you that um, you have given us the courage to be able to do the things that are pleasing to you. Thank you that, um, that even when we are disobedient, that you love us and that you've purchased our freedom. You've become our righteousness. Um, Thank you for loving us. And thank you for this remembrance right now that we get to take. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.